You're listening to the African Campfire Stories podcast. The African Campfire Stories podcast is a program that is dedicated to the telling of African history stories and events. Welcome. To bring African history stories to you, we have to wade through a lot of facts, dates, names of people, and names of places. So should you pick up anything we get wrong, please let us know. You can find us on our social media pages, on Twitter, African Campfire Stories, on Facebook, African Campfire Stories, on Instagram, African Campfire Stories. Our website is www.africancampfirestories.com. Your assistance in this regard will help us continue to give you quality programming. When creating our podcast episodes, we use works from historians and other writers and researchers as our sources. We are very grateful to these men and women for providing us with information that we get to share with you on this podcast. Now, on to today's episode. This is episode 12, Cold War Pawns. Enter Lumumba. Last time on Cold War Pawns, that is on episode 11, we looked at the summarized version of the history of foreign intervention in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We looked at two key periods of foreign intervention in the DRC. Firstly, the intervention in the late 1800s by King Leopold II of the Belgians. Secondly, the intervention of the government of Belgium itself, starting from 1908. Towards the end of episode 11, we saw that the African natives of the Belgian Congo, which was the name of the DRC at that point in history, were getting restless. Significant resistance by the Africans against colonization was starting to show. We also showed that the USA, which was the leader of the capitalist side in the Cold War, had already been involved in the DRC during the Second World War and beyond, mainly as a customer of the DRC's mineral resources. So, what about the USA's opponent in the Cold War, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics? When did the USSR start getting involved in the DRC? And why did the USSR and the USA have a contest over the DRC? Before we answer these questions, we need to take a brief detour and do a recollection of the material we've covered so far on the Cold War Porn series. It's been a while now in this series since we've spoken about the primary reason of why we did this series in the first place, the Cold War. In episode 2 and 3, we introduced the concept of the Cold War. Back in those episodes, we stated that the Cold War was a contest of wills between the USA and the USSR. This conflict was called the Cold War because it never spilled into actual fighting between these two countries. But don't let that fool you into thinking that the Cold War was a bloodless affair. Cold War-related conflicts did result in the shedding of blood in many countries around the world, including some African countries. Our previous episodes are chock full of examples of bloodletting during the Cold War, including countries such as Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Greece, Vietnam, etc. Episode 7, 8 and 9 cover the dangerous Cold War situations in China, Korea, Cuba and Iran. The Cold War was also beset by circumstances that nearly split into full-on nuclear war. We all know what the USA is, as the country still exists today. 
The USSR, on the other hand, does not exist anymore. The Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, was a country that replaced Imperial Russia. Imperial Russia, the Russia of the Tsars, came to an end in 1917, after the Communist Revolution. It was replaced by the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, the USSR, which itself would last until 1991, replaced by the country we call Russia today. Episode 4 gets into more detail about this topic. If you haven't done so already, we request that you please check out episode 2 to 11 of this podcast so you can understand the historical context of what is about to happen in our Cold War Pawns story. Now that this summary is out of the way, we will get back into the question. Why did the USSR and the USA have a contest over the DRC? To answer this question, we have to do a quick look at the DRC's independence from Belgium. Note this podcast will do a detailed history of the DRC in the future. For now, we will only cover the parts of DRC history that are important for the understanding of the Cold War in Africa. On the 30th of June 1960, the DRC finally obtained independence from Belgium. Though it is important to note that Belgian troops maintained a presence in the newly independent DRC, a presence that was at first benign, initially seen as necessary to secure a smooth transition. When Belgium later became reluctant to remove its troops, and when Belgian troops were later involved in supporting separatist movements that sought to break away from the central government of the DRC, the presence of the Belgian troops took a turn for the worst. The new country that resulted from independence was known as the Republic of the Congo, or sometimes known as the Republic of Congo-Leopoldville, or just Congo-Leopoldville. This was to help avoid confusion with the other Congo, which was usually called Congo-Brazzaville. The respective capitals of the two Congos were tagged on at the end of their names to facilitate the identifying of the two Congos from one another. At independence in 1960, Patrice Emery Lumumba was elected prime minister and Joseph Kasavubu was named the first president. Having these two men govern in tandem was an uneasy compromise, a compromise that would prove fatal in the end. The trouble was that after independence, the DRC politicians had an extended and very fraught process of forming a government, a process which never had the support of everyone involved. Lumumba, representing the Movement National Congolais, the MNC political party, won the elections. But reaching cross-party agreement on who should be in government and how the country should be governed became close to impossible. This bickering amongst the DRC political parties and the agreements that came out of it would result in serious political and ethnical troubles. And those troubles will not be far in coming. Kasavubu's Alliance des Bakongo, the Abako political party, won a significant vote in parliament. But Abaku did not attain an outright majority that could clearly decide the matter of who should govern. Therefore, it was decided that, as a compromise, Lumumba should become prime minister. This compromise was reached when it became clear that many of the political players involved were not going to agree to be party to any solution that did not include Lumumba amongst the top 
of the political pile. The Belgian and the Congolese press and even international opinion expressed support for the compromise. Belgium hoped that Kasavubu would keep Lumumba in check as Belgium perceived Lumumba to have an extremist, that is, communist outlook. Some Belgian politicians felt that Lumumba hated Belgium and white people in general and perhaps more worrying in the light of the brewing Cold War, they also regarded Lumumba to be a communist, maybe recognizing that he had a communist image among the Western governments on the 23rd of June 1960, Lumumba gave a speech on which, amongst other things, he openly declared that his government would pursue a neutral foreign policy. In the international affairs of the Cold War era, such talk by leading politicians was understood by everyone to mean that you were not going to show undue favor or bias towards either the USA or the USSR. That means that you were not going to take sides in the Cold War. These statements were usually not believed by the USA or the USSR. Not long after the election, a crisis known to history as the Congo Crisis erupted. Two provinces of the newly minted country, the provinces of Katanga and South Kasai, rebelled against the authority of the central government. The case of Katanga province was extreme. On the 11th of July 1960, Moïse Chombe, the leader of the Confederation des Associations Tribales du Katanga, or Konakat in short, proclaimed independence from the Republic of Congo Leopoldville. In South Kasai, the leader Albert Kalonji, who was part of the faction of the Mouvement National Congolaise Kalonji, or MNC-K, before independence, took advantage of the tribalistic divisions between the Baluba, his own ethnic group, and the Bena Lulua ethnic group. As this so-called Congo crisis will show, this is the first time on this podcast whereupon we will come across the real significance of the severe ethnic challenges that would be faced by the newly independent African countries. We can guarantee you that it is not the last time. Africa has been beset by tribal ethnic issues before colonization, during colonization, and after colonization. These ethnic challenges could also be exploited by anyone who saw gain in doing so, including the former colonial powers of the newly independent African countries. These former colonial powers would side with the USA or the USSR in the Cold War, but mostly with the USA making the conflicts that were about to begin in some parts of Africa even more explosive and poisonous. For example, the attempted split from the main country by the province of Katanga was aided by a Belgian mining corporation and a cabal of military advisors from the Belgian military. The rebellious military force that was raised by Moïse Chombe was trained by the country of Belgium. In South Kasai, Kalonji's MNC-K wanted to create a Baluba-based separate country. To squeeze the maximum juice and emotionalism from tribalism, MNC-K proclaimed that all the Baluba living in the rest of the Congo should return to Kasai. On the 9th of August 1960, South Kasai also proclaimed itself to be a separate country. Again, Belgium was amongst the supporters of the South Kasai separatist movement. And during all this chaos there occurred an event that was unfortunately going to become a norm in many parts of the newly independent Africa. 
military troops from South Kasai clashed with those from the central government. There followed large massacres of the Baluba committed by the troops of the central government, thus causing another type of event that was to unfortunately also become part and parcel of the image of the newly independent Africa. A refugee crisis. Many sought to blame Lumumba for this perceived harsh handling of this crisis. It was Lumumba who had ordered the DRC government troops under the command of Joseph Desiree Mobutu to put down the rebellion in South Kasai. And we have a feeling that this is not the last time you'll be hearing about this Mobutu fellow in this story. At this point, we finally get to answer the question we asked earlier. The question was, when did the USSR get involved in the DRC? We've stated that the USSR's Cold War opponent, the USA, was already getting a lion's share of the DRC's uranium to build the atom bombs they would drop on Japan in 1945. Concerning the USSR, it was Prime Minister Patrice Lumumba who, at this point, requested the assistance of the USSR. Amongst other things, he wanted the USSR to help the central government suppress the separationist movements and to also provide economic and technical assistance. It was this action that would lead to Lumumba's loss of power and his subsequent execution. An execution that had the letters CIA written all over it. This was mainly because Lumumba's reaching out to the USSR was not looked upon kindly by the USA. But as you will discover, as we cover more and more of the Cold War, things were not always so simple and clear-cut. To begin with, Lumumba had initially approached both the USA and the USSR and also the United Nations, and he requested more or less the same kind of assistance from all of them. After all, it was no secret that the DRC was seeking international help. On his way to and fro New York to talk to the United Nations, Lumumba had travelled to other African states. He had also travelled to London. And he had also approached senior U.S. government officials, including the U.S. Secretary of State, about assistance for his nation. He had even made approaches to the Canadian government. The hate against Lumumba for his eventual courting of the USSR for help is even more confusing if you consider the fact that after Lumumba made his initial request to the USA, the USSR and the UN, he had also made it clear that he no longer needed the USSR's help. This is because he had made a deal with an American investment group and they had promised to help. So it did not seem that the USSR would be needed any longer. Plus, the canny Lumumba must have counted on the fact that the very business-oriented USA would offer help after the American business investors had pledged their help. Where business goes, the USA goes. So it's not a far-fetched expectation to think that if US businesses endorse you, the U.S. government will also follow suit. But the USA and Canada both refused to offer help, claiming that they would only offer help through the United Nations. Remember that all of this is happening in double-quick time. The DRC had just received independence. Tribal groups were breaking away from the country in all directions, mass killings, rampant rapes, and destructive plundering was happening at a quick rate. The economy of the country was in tatters. The Belgian army, which was in the DRC to keep order, 
was colluding with people who wanted to break certain provinces away from the DRC. Other African countries and their leaders were doing more talking than providing actual help. These other African countries were also putting pressure on the DRC, doing the bidding of the Americans and the USSR, asking the DRC to choose one side over the other. The Americans, Canadians and even the English were taking their sweet time with the talks. In the USA, the slow response to the DRC's cries for help was also because the US establishment thought that Lumumba was a communist. It didn't help that Lumumba had a bad reputation in his own country and internationally. The Belgians were feeding the Americans negative information about Lumumba, but Lumumba did not have time. His country was in an extreme state of instability. The United Nations itself, it now seems, was not sure what to do. Either that, or they were not taking the issues of the DRC seriously enough. One of the discussion points that Lumumba raised with the UN was a forceful request to have Belgian troops removed from the DRC. The Belgian army did not seem to be helping the central government of the DRC to consolidate and stabilize the country. And as we've seen before, they were not only just not helping with the stabilization of the country, they were also actively supporting provinces who want to break away from the main country. This continued Belgian shenanigans, plus the UN's seemingly non-committal stance, made Lumumba suspicious of the UN. Since the beginning of the chaos in 1960, and then afterwards, the USA had been hopeful that the DRC would calm down and be a great addition to the USA's international cause against communism and the USSR. The USA's hope for having the DRC come over to its side is selfish beyond belief. Why would the USA government presume to think that the DRC would be a partner in the fight against communism when just before independence Patrice Lumumba had stated in a public speech that the DRC would be neutral in the Cold War? Neutral means taking no side. Plus, the USA's less than stellar response to requests of help from Lumumba should have made the USA realize that Lumumba might be forced to go elsewhere to look for help. The US's response in helping Europe after the destruction caused by World War II is laudable. We have discussed the US's efforts to help Western Europe in the previous episodes of the Cold War Pawns series. Because of the help the US provided to Western Europe, the US could expect the Europeans to stand behind her in her international struggle against the USSR. The DRC and Africa in general did not receive any such help. No one is saying that the USA should have helped Africa. Countries have a right to do whatever they want with their own money. If the US didn't provide help, they had no right to expect that Africa would by default automatically band together with them in the conflict with the USSR. I mean... What sort of entitlement is that? For one thing, since after World War II, the USSR had been screaming the loudest against colonization. The USSR put themselves in the forefront of helping colonized countries gain independence. America, on the other hand, actively supported European countries in their efforts to perpetuate colonization. In episode 3, we covered the USA's involvement in Vietnam. The U.S. had been originally involved in Vietnam to assist France to keep Vietnam as her colony. Of course, to be fair, the U.S. was doing this because she feared that countries like Vietnam 
would fall under the spell of communism. But regardless, for the colonized people of Africa, the U.S.'s shenanigans in countries like Vietnam did nothing to endear her to Africans. In any case, back to the DRC. The DRC was running out of time. And countries that could help, including other independent African countries, it must be said, seemed to be taking their time and offering their help. We've now come towards the end of today's episode. And just to give you some idea where things will go in the DRC, we would like to leave you with this one last story. In 1963, General Joseph Desira Mobutu, who was at this time the commander of the army of the DRC, would visit USA President John F. Kennedy in Washington. This meeting, it is reported that Kennedy said to Mobutu, open quote, General, if it hadn't been for you, the whole thing would have collapsed and the communists would have taken over. Close quotes. If you recall from above, Mobutu had commanded the government troops that had ruthlessly quashed the Kasai uprising, a quashing which had resulted in massacres and rampant raping and pillaging. In this conversation with Mobutu, President Kennedy was referring to that occurrence, praising Mobutu for human rights violations. This was the man that the USA was about to turn in to the DRC. Mobutu had replied to the president by saying, open quote, I do what I'm able to do, close quote. Indeed, Mobutu was to do more for the USA in the coming years. Way more. We will have to stop here for today. Next time, we will discuss Lumumba's continued but failed efforts to stabilize the DRC. Lumumba was a brilliant but complicated man. And as brilliant as he was, it seemed that as the country was getting more and more out of control, Lumumba himself was spiraling into a state of confusion and haphazardness. Unfortunately for him, Mobutu was lurking in the background, ready to jump in headfirst into the chaos. And people who tangled with Mobutu did not tend to live for very long. Stay tuned. See you next time.